This is Have You Met? My guest today is one of a tiny minority of people that runs a business that actually values people above profits. He's faced and has come through adversity in his own life and those hardships have helped him become the person he is today. Here's a quote from Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. Over 1.3 billion tons of food produced globally is lost or wasted every year. If one fourth of that was saved, it would be enough to feed 870 million hungry people. My guest today's company is called The Real Junk Food Project, and it's their mission to reduce food waste as much as possible. They have a pay-as-you-feel cafe and a warehouse, and have inspired hundreds of similar projects worldwide. If more people thought and acted like this guest, the world would be a better place and everyone would be fed. Have you met Adam Smith? So yeah, Adam, tell me a little bit more about kind of your background, your story, um, and and where you came from, I guess. So I'm born in Leeds, um, in, in West Yorkshire, and yeah, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family, a dysfunctional childhood, uh, started off all right for the first seven, eight years, but unfortunately, there was domestic violence in my life. My uh, uh, my dad was my mom. Maybe maybe to my mom as well. I don't know. Um, I was too young to fully understand what was going on at the time. And then there was a really serious incident around Christmas night. By uh, the police were involved, and um, my, my life just went downhill from there. Really, for like fifteen years, uh, I ended up getting thrown out of school. I ended up um, in care. Um, suicide attempts, uh, sectioned, um, I was called antidepressants at a very young age, 11, 12 years old, and then became a chef, which is like a great lifestyle for somebody who is self-destructive, um, and got involved in drugs and alcohol, became homeless, and couch surfed, didn't have a permanent abode, and yeah, and then, then 11 years ago now, I made a serious attempt to take my own life to the point of no return, so it wasn't a cry for help or, you know, just a, uh, an overdose of some sort, you know, that, that, was, that was trivial, even though, you know, it was quite serious, but um, my previous attempts had been more kind of attention-seeking rather than an attempt to actually end it, this one was a serious attempt. Yeah. And then, yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been trying to feed the world, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> pretty simply. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um so yeah, where do we go from there? I mean, to to go back a little bit into into your story and stuff, you, it sounds like you've really been at rock bottom probably a few times. Yeah, I think the analogy that I use to describe life, the best way I can is like everybody is uh, on a hammock and the hammock has four strings which keeps you above the ground. And I think those that have been rock bottom have very few strings left mm. and when your safety blanket is quite narrow and quite small um, there's no way out and this is why we have these like toxic behaviors and cultures in this country where you see homelessness or substance abuse or you know street drinkers and people go why don't just get off here why don't there isn't a way out for some people. Um, yeah. That lifestyle, that culture is all that they know. They hang on to that like it's their last string on their hammock, you know, before they fall to, to no point no return. And I've been there yeah. several times where I've probably got one or two strings left on my hammock. Um, so, yeah, for the last like 10 years, all I've done is just, I've now got 
hundreds, if not thousands of strings on that hammock so that if one of them breaks or falls, that I'm still, you know, way above the ground and I will yeah. never get to those depths again. And I think that's just the only way of describing it because life is just a balance and, you know, people free fall and when you get into that free fall mode, and sometimes it might not even be your fault, it could be a, a, an incident in your life that's affected you to the point where you can't see any way out. And people's hammocks tend to get really, really, really small with less strings on it. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't have that, that structure or security in my life, that role model to know any different really. So when I started this toxic behavior, this self-destructive behavior, which is a consequence of the trauma and stuff that I've been through, that also led to further trauma, relationship breakdowns. Um, you know, I was a very, very toxic, not a very nice person. I didn't have the capacity to understand my actions um, on somebody else. And um, it didn't matter to me either. If anything, I probably didn't care. And then as I got older, even in the last year or two, I've been diagnosed with uh, neurodiversity and ADHD. Again, a lot of that comes from the trauma and my coping mechanisms and um, the way that I, uh, like survival instincts. So I'm still working a lot at the moment, but I've always had that. I've always been wired slightly different as well. So maybe a lot of people would have gone down a very different path than I did uh, under the same circumstances. But I was always like, uh, a good person doing stupid stuff. Um, I was never a bad person, even though I hurt people. Yeah. Um, and so it's only recently that I've started to really understand and connect more with those emotions and those feelings. Uh, I still struggle with it, but just like what impact it has on other people. Um, and I didn't have that at all growing up yet. So I've been, I've been, I've been in yeah some really really low shit situations. Um, yeah. You know, from homelessness to running away and sleeping on motorways in the in the in the pouring down rain, you know, just outside an embankment, going to sleep. Um, ended up in drug dealers' houses as a kid, from running away to being in prison for seventy days on remand in Hulk, which is Cat B prison. That was that was an adventure. Um, and yeah, having my complete liberty and freedom taken away from me to the point where I've you know I've, I've taken more drugs than you know probably a human being could uh should probably take in a lifetime and i've taken it in taken it in one night and and ended up in the strangest places and um yeah i i i, I seriously just tried to do everything to destroy myself and uh, i did it i was successful i was pronounced dead by the police family and um miraculously i don't know what happened but i'm still here and, and I'm, I'm still uh still alive so I was obviously put here for a reason, but yeah, the the, the, the destruction, the, the depths that I went to, I always say to people, there's, there's very few people that get to those depths. You know, we all have shit times, we all have down days, we get depressed. Um, you know, life can become overwhelming in all aspects. You know, if you look existentially, if you look at the world and what's going on yeah. at the moment, you can get really depressed and you can also then make it relative and things like that go in the mold to you. And people have, you know, really, really bad times. But then there's another level where if you get to the point where you are not coming back to those depths, um, that is the point of no return. Those people are not intended on coming back. And there's very, very few people on the planet that survive that. Um, they're not here, they're not here anymore. Uh, yeah. we, could, we could name lots of people. Yeah, we know, we know celebrities that have been in that situation. There's obviously lots of people that do that, um, in everyday life. And so yeah, I, I, I've been to those depths and then I've survived those depths. 
and there's not many of us on the planet that can live there that day. So it's yeah. still a really, really strange, even only 11 years later, you don't even see that on ago. Um, it's very, very strange to think of that person as me in those depths, you know, and I relate to that and understand that. Because like, I certainly could never get to the situation I was in when I tried to do that. Um, and now my life is completely different. I have a completely different, you know, headspace and capacity now to understand and uh, thrive on things. And my hammock has got lots of strings, so I, I you know, I, I feel much more secure than I ever have been. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's difficult to talk about the debts because because the way that I'm wired, because of the autism, it was always just an adventure for me. Even trying to tell me life was an adventure. It was more like a step-by-step process of this is what you have to do. Uh, yeah. And that's what I did. And I just went through that. There was no emotion attached to it. Um, yeah. I just did it. So, But it was a consequence of all the negative things that happened in my life. And I understand why people also do that. You know, I feel like things are just too much and overwhelming. That's why they decided to do it. But there's probably a lot more emotion behind it. Whereas me, it was just everything I did was just an adventure. Went to prison, yeah. went to care, got sectioned. And I just kind of did it. Um, so, yeah, my, my experience of it are very, very different to other people's because I've come from a kind of a new and diverse perspective of going through trauma and abuse and self-disruption. And that's quite rare. And to survive that and be able to tell a story and then obviously now we're in a position of leadership and yeah. feeding a million people, both peoples around the world, it's, it's, um, it's, quite, it's quite unique and quite rare, I think. Very unique, very unique, definitely. And you must feel so lucky and at the same time, like surreal, I guess, when you look back and think what you've you've been through and what you've moved past and, and yeah. all that kind of thing. You, you must feel, I guess, yeah, surreal, like almost like it was a different lifetime in a way. Yeah, it's, and I'm, I've always been very, very determined. And you know, if I said to you now in 10 years' time, I'm going to be prime minister, in 10 years' time, I'll try to become prime minister. You know, whatever I've set my mind to no matter what in life I've always been able to do it whether it was good or bad um, I'm capable of doing a lot of things and yeah it's very surreal to think that I, I had to go on that path to get to where I'm now because I think if I put my mind into positive things or maybe had a few more strings on my hammock or I had a bit more security if I had a bit more role model in my life a bit more structure if I was led down a certain way you know I, I could have quite easily gone to university and probably excelled and had a very different life yeah because yeah. i always had that capacity um and that and that drive and that passion to do something and it just took me to you know to get to those depths to say i'm not doing this anymore um and then i've just been kind of on, a, on a, an upward journey ever since so was there like a one catalyst moment or is it kind of just a general series of just gradual improvements that allowed you to drag it drag yourself out of it yeah it was just waking up on that i mean like i said to you not many people wake up on that bed you know, most people don't survive that. Um, yeah. I woke up and then I just decided that I wasn't doing it anymore. And it was about, and, and, and to be honest, Ben, I mean, uh, you know, the most um, kind of realistic um, analysis of, of what's happened is that it's been incredibly difficult, probably more difficult than it was doing all this self-destructive stuff. You know, that's easy. I can, I can drink alcohol, I can yeah. take drugs, I can go party hard, I can destroy a woman's life if I you know that stuff was relatively easy it was negative but it was very easy mm. you know working on yourself allow yourself to be vulnerable knowing that you're wrong or accepting that you're wrong uh, accepting another person's point of view relationships having children 
And those things are really, really, really hard. So I just challenged myself that, you know, I can do this and get through this. Um, and then, I mean, which I'm, uh, you know, I say for you, and I do speak to a lot of people in similar circumstances, that's what a lot of people have gone on to do with their lives, you know, like just improvements and just work on themselves and become a better human being, a better version of themselves. But then I come, I just took it further, um, obviously set up a project and then, you know, I've, I've gone on to feed millions of people around the world and stuff, thousands of songs from of waste and, you know, quite a public yeah. figure now. And I just feel like I've always had that drive and passion. So for me, you know, it's, um, yeah, I feel like there, there's still a lot more to come. Yeah. Um, I think the moment for me wasn't, Anything in particular, it wasn't like a white, you know, white at the end of the tunnel. It wasn't an epiphany moment. It was just going through that experience of self-destruction for 10, 15 years, abuse, trauma, in, in all its forms. And then, you know, that, that kind of end goal of why I was not coming back. That was my last adventure, my last challenge that I set myself as such. And then when I survived that, I, I was completely blank. And I was like, clearly everything I've done before didn't work. Clearly, I should stop doing that. So let's just see what happens if I do things differently. And let's just see if I change the rhetoric, if I change my mindset, my approach. Uh, let's see what happens. And there's a couple of things. One was, I, I think I read something like a quote. It was like really random, sporadic kind of social media type thing that you just scroll past. Um, yeah. It was something like, no matter what you do, just be conscious of your chin. Um, and I did. I just started doing it. I just started holding my chin up. So even when I went out and stuff, I was always like conscious of just like holding my chin up and just kind of, you know, having that perception that I was in control, dominant, uh, assertive, kind of confident. Yeah. I just, I was just conscious of it, even for the first couple of years after I'd, I attempted to set my own life and it just changed everything. And then it, and then I just started saying yes to everything. Every opportunity, you know, I, I grew up listening to Eminem, you know, he was, he was my idol. Um, everything about his life was very similar to what I was going through, and it was a very, you know, different context. But in the principle of it, you know, somebody had come from a rocky background that had taken a chance and, and taken an opportunity and had gone on to do something. And he was, it was just my inspiration. I think I was driving the car like one day, and uh, Lose Yourself came on, and it was like, you know, you can one shot, one opportunity, you know, would you, would you capture it or would you let it sleep? And it just, I just thought, I'm stuck with this. I'm just going to take every opportunity and say, yes, I'm just going to do it. And, um, that's what I've done ever since. And it, and it, and it works. It's not some kind of like self-help guidance guru type nonsense. It's just positive outlook, channeling kindness and energy into the world. And then I believe without being religious and spiritual that it just comes back to you in other ways. And yeah. I just thrived on that and then took those opportunities. Um, something didn't work out, but I didn't. I didn't like that. Do you think, you know, I'll take me back to where I was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell me at what point kind of in your journey did the Real Junk Food Project kind of raise its head? When did you have the idea? When did you start putting it into practice and that kind of thing? Well, it was 22nd of February 2013 and I'm still on the farm bashing a tree with a stick because I was harvesting almonds and I just said I'm going to create the real job group projects and feed the world, and it, it just came out of nowhere. Um, I I travelled to Australia. I'd seen food waste. I'd been a chef. 
I knew I wanted to do something to give back, charity work, volunteering, something along those lines, you know, bigger yeah. events, et etc. Et I was always trying to do something bigger and better. Um, you know, no, no matter what I did, uh, even from primary school age, I remember getting thrown out of class and um, I had to uh, work with the year above me who were working on some road safety poster and I created a board game and we won the competition. And so like, this little kid in year four or five with all these like year sixes, um, at this, at this, I went to a McDonald's and got like a free happy meal and we got to meet the fire, local fire station and, and firemen and women. Um, because I just created this board game and it won because the, the rule was to create a poster and I just went above and beyond because that's the way my mind works. So, yeah. yeah, I've always, always thought above and beyond the bigger picture, kind of, you know, I want to feed the world and I just want to feed leads, you know, that kind of mentality. Yeah. And, yeah, so the project kind of started in 2013 as, as, as a, maybe an epiphany moment, really, working on a farm, seeing pigs getting fed food waste, trying to understand the concepts of, logistics and supply chain, global food supply chains, not just the supply chain where I was, it was like the whole world supply chain. I wanted to understand where food came from, probably got to where it needed to get to, all the complications in between. Uh, and then started looking into other third sector organisations and what they're doing. And I was just like, I'm ultra critical, I'm, I'm my own biggest critic, but I'm ultra critical of everything and everyone. It's, it's part of the autism that I've got where I overanalyze and analyze you know, people and because I've got a photographic memory as well, I can go back and remember things and um, my partner says that I've got um, uh, disabled Tourette's because if I see somebody that's that's different to me, I, I have to say something, but not in a negative way, like I'm trying to bully them or point it out, but I'm just fascinated by it. You know, I'm fascinated. I see people like, um, with, uh, like, uh, you know, like thalidomide or, or, or that's got amputees or something, and I'm really, really fascinated because I want to understand their lives, I want to understand how they, how they do things and what challenges they've got. And, um, you know, then I want to help them and I think, well, how can I make the world better for you so that you can do stuff that I do and stuff? And that's the yeah. way that I am. Um, so that's what I started to do. I started to like just go out and see what was happening. And then I just found all these models and, 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 uh, like third sector organizations and I was just ultra critical. I was like, but that's not actually doing anything, is it? Like, that's not stopping waste. That's not feeding people. Like, you're just, you're just keeping yourself in a job, you're just facilitating the problem, and they just didn't like it because I was like, because I'd ask the really uh, awkward questions that nobody wanted to answer. And I'd stand up yeah. in the middle of a room and say them, and I'm like, there was one time I went to um, Lead City Council, I stood up and I introduced myself, and um, I think there was about 13, 14 people, and they were all quite uh, affluent, type, uh, prestigious, uh, like people in Leeds that were well connected and well known, and I was the only one that wasn't. And I remember stood up and went, oh, my name's Adam Smith and uh, I created a project called The Real Jumper Project I'm going to feed the world. And everyone laughed at me. Like literally there was just like a this roaring laugh. And I sat down going, I don't understand why they were laughing. Like what, what did I say that was funny then? Yeah. And it took me years to understand that they thought like who was really this guy. And then I got asked to do a deposition at the Leeds City Council where I had to go and do a speech and, um, to all the councillors about all the work that we'd done and the impact we'd had on Leeds. And I remember replying saying, do you not remember when you laughed at me when I stood up and said I was going to do this? And now after four or five years, I've gone away and done it. And now you want me to come and tell you how I did it. Like I told you five years ago what I was going to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've just always had this mentality like, I'm going to feed the world. I'm going to change people's lives. I'm going to improve things for better. You know, I, I, I'm reading a lot about politics at the moment because it drives me absolutely mental what's going on at the moment. Me too. And 
I, you know, I looked into like kind of democratic socialists and uh, Marxism and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't because I am that. It was just I want to look into models. I, I follow people who are conservative because I want to understand their mentality and I want to understand, yeah. you know, I see lots of negative stuff about um, kind of right wing centrist people. And I always want to kind of understand it a little bit. Um, so I always think, you know, I, I, I should get a, a more all round kind of picture. And you know, it's not because I'm socialist in any way, shape, or form. I just I see the world in a very black and white way, and I think it either is or it isn't. It's going to right yeah. or it's wrong, and, and I don't understand the grey areas. So when I see people that deceive or or or, or lie or um, anything else that's got colour, basically, I just don't understand it, and I want to make sense of it, not just for the world, but for my head, so I can process that information. And it, because it'll drive me mental for years and years and years. And it'll always be turning away back in the head. Even just like a comment a politician made and it's like, he lied. And then for like 10 years later, I'll bring it back up. Someone's like, remember that guy when he stood up and he lied? Why do you remember when he stood up and said that? Um, it happened more recently to me with uh, an MP in Leeds that uh, Hillary Benn. And he stood up uh, during when we, when we bombed Syria. He stood up and gave a speech in Parliament about what was about to happen. And obviously, he, his, his father's you know, well known for not bombing or killing people. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's an MP in Leeds. And I remember I had to go sit around the table with him. It was about six years later. And he like, came up and introduced myself to him. And, and he, took, he put his hand out, and I, I wouldn't check his hand. And, and, and there was people around me kind of all kind of like, oh, shit, what's going on here? Like, what, what's, what's happening? Like, everybody's like, kind of panicked. I was like, you stood up and you justified the bombing, like, innocent people. And now those people are in this country. And now we're all hating refugees and voting for Brexit. I said, do you not understand what you did? And he's like, oh, you know, parliamentary things, and you don't understand the nice kind of stuff. And I was like, no, I think I do. I think I do. I think I actually saw you stand up and give that speech. And and mm. I don't care which party you're with. I don't care who you are. As a human being, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done yeah. that. I've gone up there and said that. So I'm really fascinated by it all. So, yeah, I think um, in regards to, like, you know the project it's it's trying to make a world black and white and um kind of deal with these problems that are so complex and convoluted yeah. with nonsense yeah. and bureaucracy and red tape, red tape and corruption yeah yeah and i just don't understand it and i don't get it and it's layered upon layered so it causes absolute confusion where even people involved in it don't understand it or loopholes and it's like I'd say, like, I just want to stop food from going to work because I don't, I don't really care about your nonsense. So, yeah. yeah, I think part of it is like another personal journey of like, how can I process this information? How can I make the world a better place for me to be able to understand? Because it's difficult for me, difficult for a lot of people, but it's difficult for me to stand in a, a street and process everybody's behaviors and, you know, what people do and how they interact. Mm -hmm. I, I actually really, really struggle with it. But then the project, obviously, it's got a, a mission to, to stop waste and, you know, to, to create a, a much more circular economy and fairer world without focusing on the stigma of, of poverty or the, the socialist side of, of, of what it does. That's kind of a byproduct. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's very, very difficult for me even now. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, it's amazing stuff you're doing. I mean, obviously you're going to have major challenges with with politics and stuff like that because yeah, it's all set up in a way to 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 yeah to profit the people that already profit and to help yeah. them, you know all, all, even poverty yeah. people profit. 
Yeah, exactly. And um, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, they're in charge would rather their friend buys a boat than feed an extra couple of thousand kids or people, you know. Um, so it's a, it must be a constant battle. But talk to me a little bit, because I know I'm conscious that we haven't got forever. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I could I could get into politics for, for a while probably with you, but talk to me about... Um, Again, about about the Real Junk Food Project and about some of the amazing, you know, if you've got a few statistics there that you can throw at me, just like what you've been doing. Because I know it's been a really quick growth. It's been like a really rapid rise um, since you started it. So just talk to me a bit about that. Um, so obviously I created the project in 2013 and that was in Australia. I came back to the UK and set up the project in December as a single cafe, which was um, one of the world's first pay-as-you-feel cafes. So we used a circular economy model that basically allows people to uh, access food and they can give back anything in return. So money, time or skills, or they can walk out the door, it's completely up to them. And the whole focus was, can we put the value back on food as well as the value on people? Uh, obviously, 2013 was kind of the rise of the food banks, um, which will go down in our history as one of the worst acts of humankind, uh, especially in this country. Uh, 2012, 2013 onwards was all like, you know, food banks, food banks, food banks, isn't it? More austerity and all that nonsense. And I was like, hang on a minute. People are just queuing up for free food here and don't understand what they're getting, probably don't need what they're getting, uh, probably don't know what to do with what they're getting. This is, this is absolutely nonsense. Like, how long is this going to go on for before this implodes? Um, obviously now it's happening and um, I, I was right <laughs> you know and people are now coming to go you know, I remember when you spoke in 2013 about all this stuff about food banks and you were like everybody were calling you out for being evil because you said this all, should all shut immediately so that we can like put the emphasis back on the state to support people rather than food banks and charities and volunteers having to give people waste food to feed people with because what we just run out of the amount of waste food or do we have then a dependency on waste food to when the whole population is just being fed with waste food? I'm still there in 2013 going, you know, this is going to happen. And now it's happening, obviously. Um, and the whole point of it was that we didn't go down that route and we challenged that uh, rhetoric and we focused on the environment. And so we were um, basically trying to stop food waste from an environmental perspective rather than stopping food waste to feed people. So if we can put it into a human belly, we can put it into animals, we can put it into the ground, we can put it into our digestion. But the whole point is that it has a full circle economy and something responsible is done with it. So yeah. we do with all sorts of crap. Um, so it's a little cafe, you know, it was yeah, they had 20 seats. It was in the very, very rough end of Leeds and we had dribs and drabs of people coming in and eating with us and not understanding it and, you know, just simply coming because they'd heard that you can go get a free sandwich I was going to ask you about that. Like, how many people would kind of come in and just try and a little bit take advantage of the system? And and well, they couldn't. That's the beautiful thing about it because it's paid your feel. You can't take advantage of it because it's you can go away and tell somebody. Uh, You can go away and leave a donation online. You can volunteer your time. Uh, There's no prices on the menu, and Mm. um, people give back in lots of different ways. So that you can't take advantage of it. And the, the, the fact remains is that you're still helping to stop the food from going to waste. Yeah. So because that's the overall aim, everybody was actually helping us. So when I came in and they're like, people like sat there going, so if I just give you a penny, is that all right? And I'm like, yeah, you can give me no pennies if you want. You can feed out with me anything. They're like, what? So I can have it for free? I was like, no, it's not free. It's pay as you feel. I just kept saying that over and over and over again to everybody. 
And they would play, you know, we'd have like young teenagers coming in going, yeah, you can just like order all this food and you don't have to pay for it. I was like, yeah. That's, that's exactly how it works. If that's what you um, feel like doing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's the fine. I said, but can you clear your plate? So we put them in sync. And they would go, I'd be like, thank you, that's your payment. Like, what do you mean? I was like, you give them back something in return. I, it would have, I would have had to do that. But now I don't have to do it. I can concentrate on something else. Like, I can't pay you to work for me, but you just cleared up for me. So I got, I didn't have to pay for labor. So therefore I win. And I'd literally yeah. like turn the whole kind of like rhetoric around on them. So like, it'd be like a reverse psychology head book to them. Because they come in with this like cocky attitude and then I would sort of go away thinking, did he just exploit me somehow, like for my free labor without <laughs> me really knowing about it? Um, and so I was just really assured and really confident that this model was more about giving human beings the value that they deserve rather than feeling like they had a stigma attached to them because of their social and financial status where they had to queue up in a line and get a free handout of some crappy um, donated food. And this wasn't about that. And I'm a chef by trade, so I could cook really good meals out of the food that I was getting. Yeah. And, uh, and and people were kind of wowed by it, if anything. Um, you know, you weren't just going to get soup. You know, we had like homeless guys coming in and eating stews and it had like quinoa and uh, and kidney beans and uh, etc. And they were like, we've never even we've never even heard of this before. And, like they're eating stuff that seemed exotic to them. And um, you know, I was giving people really healthy food that into their diets without them really knowing about it, just because that's the thing that was going to waste at the time. So then that was going on for about three, four months, and the Guardian came in March 2014, did a video on us, um, and then it just exploded. And you can go online and have a look now. It's the, the Guardian, the original Guardian video from 2014 for the Armour Cafe. And this guy came and spent a couple of days with us, and he was absolutely lovely. I can't remember his name now. Um, but I've kept in touch a couple of times. I think his name was Rob. And he just spent a few days with us and just filmed us on his little camera. And I, I, you know, I loved it. And I showed him everything we were doing. And we were trying to score this little bit of land across the cafe and we were going to grow on it. And, you know, it was, it was, it was all very kind of like really naive. You know, I was, I was 26, 27, 28, I think I might have been. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to feed well. I'm a CEO and I'm running this cafe. And, you know, I was like thinking I was Sir Alan Sugar. Um, just through my own na- naivety, really. Yeah. And, then it exploded, about 100,000 people in 48 hours got in touch with me all over the world, sending me videos, wow. messages, families were sending me videos of children hungry in Argentina. Um, you know, it was mental. It was absolutely mental. Yeah. I think we shook the cafe for like a day. Just spent all our time on our laptop, uh, just replying to all these people on social media and all the emails we were getting. Yeah, it was, it was really yeah. fun. And then it just changed. People all over the world started asking us to set up cafes. So we just did an open source model, sent it to them, simply hit copy as it's fine, don't worry about it. Probably the worst mistake ever made, to be honest, because the liabilities all came back to me in the end. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yeah, by 2016, we had 126 projects in seven countries. Uh, Israel, South Korea, Japan, Germany, France, and the UK. Uh, I think it was like a kind of one in Melbourne and South Africa that were doing something similar, wanting to set up something similar. And yeah, my, my face was all over the world. You know, this guy had taken food race and was feeding people with it in a, in a kitchen, a commercial kitchen. And um, it was seemed quite radical. We were winning awards and getting nominated for stuff. But it just it just didn't work. We didn't have the infrastructure and the support and the finances and the personnel to be able to manage a, 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 an autonomous network of people that were uh, highly demanding. And, um, you know, everything came to me like, you know, they'd send me a message because the freezer had broken in South Africa or, um, somebody was selling raw meat in Northampton on their Facebook page and somebody in Texas rang me and said 
we've been donating food to you via Nando's and uh, the head office around me from Texas were like, what are you doing selling raw meat on your Facebook? I was like, I'm not, it's not me. But they have the real Trump Project name, so it all came back to yeah. me. So I quickly wow. learned about the liability and yeah. uh, the legality of partnership agreements and paperwork. So yeah, and then we started going into schools, met a head teacher, did a big event in a school, fed 10,000 children breakfast across four cities um, in primary schools just with surplus food. And then since then, up oh, to last Tuesday, by the way, that was the last day we did it, but for the last five years, since 2016 to now, uh, we've been feeding between eight and 10,000 children a week with surplus food in primary schools, Wow, um, yeah. which has been incredible. And we don't really talk about it, really. We just did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, then I grew, I grew the cafe, so we need more food uh, in our space and all the food that we were getting donated. So I opened up a warehouse, used my social media presence to tell everybody we had all this food, and then accidentally created the world's first page of your supermarket. Um, there's now around 10 of those across the country, which have all been you know, through myself or influenced by ourselves. Um, and then COVID happened last year, pretty much uh, April uh, 2020. We did... 400 tons of food in one month, which is about 1.5 million meals. And that was the equivalent of what we were doing in the entirety of 2019. So in four weeks, we did a year's worth of work moving this food. And um, then we've just exploded since then. So we've now got from about three or four to 20 members of staff, community garden, 15,000 square foot warehouse, several cafes across the country, which are run by us and all the staff are paid for by us. Um, we do a box scheme um, where people can pay online through an app to buy a box of food from us. So it's like £10 with this £40 of value box, and we do hundreds of those a week. And uh, outside catering, obviously, we haven't been doing it recently, but uh, in the last couple of weeks since the lockdown restrictions have eased, we've been doing weddings and outside events and catering, all made of surplus food, and there's videos of us online and documentaries of us. Um, uh, feeding all these people and doing big reveals at the end and explaining to people all just eating waste food and, and then seeing their a reaction and their shock. And um, yeah, that's that's the main focus going forward, really. So it's just been a, a, an adventure of, of stopping waste, 7,000 tonnes. So it's about 16.6 million people worldwide. Um, and obviously, we've inspired hundreds of projects to start off because they've seen how we did it in this radical way and gone away and pretty much copied it in all their towns and cities across the UK. So yeah, yeah it's been quite a journey it's amazing stuff man i can only imagine the the awful and depressing scale of food waste like globally <laughs> i used to work at a little a little shop like a little wh smith years ago now probably the best part of a decade ago and i remember at the end of every shift like every day you, you're throwing away you know tens and tens of of perfectly good sandwiches that have just just passed their their best before on that day or their their expiry you're getting rid of, you know, chocolate crisp, just just everything that's passed or, you know, the the amount of it, the sheer volume of it is insane. And that was just in one shop. And then you look at like individual households and it just must be insane worldwide. Like there must be enough food right now to feed everybody if we had the logistics to to put it out, you know, to get it to the people that need it and to, to, to divvy it up and all that kind of thing. Yeah. It must be there. Um. Yeah, it's it's. So, how long ago was you working there for? How long ago? Was Sorry, it? say again. How long? Oh, ago it was, was about it? ten years. Yeah, about about ten years mm -hmm. ago, give or take. Um, he well, it's worse. It's much much worse. Yeah, I mean, that's the depressing really. thing. It was bad then. 
Uh, it was certainly bad when I started. It's even worse now. Um, I think there's a huge dependency now on ways to exist. Like it's yeah. somehow become cool. Um, there's hashtags, you know, that like it's like it's something, especially in the third sector, that we should be proud of. You know, hashtag holiday hunger, hashtag food waste. Mm. It's like it's a, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Yeah. The, the, the thing for me, which kind of epitomizes food waste, is that we grow six thousand calories per person per day of food across the world. Uh, so we overproduce and we overmanufacture food. There's more food than people that can eat it, basically. Then we have waste. Then we have hunger. Then we have obesity. And they're all happening in the UK. So yeah. if this isn't like some third world country or some war-torn area. No, this is a very wealthy nation that has more food than it needs. And then it has people going without. And then it also has waste. And then it also has obesity. And hunger, <laughs> like it's yeah. a paradox. The food system is a complete paradox. One of the two yeah. of those things should be a consequence of a poor system, but to have all of them alongside each other at the same time mm. in London, in Leeds, yeah. in Sheffield, in Birmingham, it's a paradox. So I guess another example, just to interrupt you very briefly, sorry, is like most of these shops, you you sell a sandwich for like five pounds, six pounds, whatever. And then they're getting thrown away, you know, like maybe if they were priced at a reasonable level, like two or three pound or whatever, just a small amount of profit, then they're actually going to sell all of these sandwiches. It's, it's it, the it also thing. then it's... highlights on the other hand and just how much money they can make if they can afford to throw away sandwiches that are worth three or five pounds. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. The, the, the irony of the situation is that they can afford throw away luxury food because they make so much on their margins that mm. they can do that, which, which, sector or business anywhere in the world can do that you know it can throw away nearly half of its stock because of how much yeah, profit it's it insane, makes isn't it? it's mental you know could you imagine starting a new company like i don't know in, in t-shirts or electro electronics or something and just going i would throw it that way sorry that was right like who does that right that's the kind yeah. of world we live in um yeah food is disposable it's cheap uh it's cheap to make and people make a lot of money off of it and now yeah. <clears throat> not only do they make money off of it but because they donate food to charities, they're also looking good for wasting food as well. Mm. So it's like, oh, don't bash these for guys for trying to stop food from going to waste. Like, let's make them look good like the supermarkets because they're not throwing food away. It's like, they still do throw food away. And look how, you know, we had one uh, retailer that came to us and I was consulting with him because I was trying to set up some kind of like uh, a verification uh, project within, within that internally which verified all the charities across the UK and, and tapped into my network and my databases to be able to redistribute this food to all, the, all, the, all these projects through this retailer. They decided to go off and do it in their own in Manchester and set up a head office of people sat on the end telephones. Most of them then started ringing me going, oh, can you just put us in touch with this person? This person, I was like, you've already you know, rejected the fact that you want to work with me. That's absolutely fine. But then after about a year of doing this, they came out with their kind of social impact report and said, we now work with 6,000 charities across the UK. And I remember being in this meeting at the time and people were like, that's absolutely amazing. Look at these guys for, you know, working with 6,000 charities to stop their waste. And I was like, that means they've got 6,000 charities needing them to stop food from going to waste. You know, they've become massively dependent on this retailer not throw, 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 uh, creating waste and throwing food away in order for these projects to then feed people or do whatever it is that they're doing with it. I said, do you not see the problem here? And like, does nobody else see the problem? Like, what happens if there's no waste and they're just not good? Do all these 6,000 charities then have to go, you know, go under? Like, are they screwed? 
And then if they have to create ways to support these charities, then that's not, that's making the problem even worse. And then when I stand up and say these things, everyone goes, ah, oh, no, you know, no, no, let's not talk about that. And it's like, no, we need to talk about this because it's a mess. It's an absolute yeah. mess. And we are purposefully making food to go to waste. You know, we purposely grow food to feed the, uh, animal feed. And a lot of those animals are slaughtered, put into plastic, shipped around the world, and then wasted. So we're not even consuming the amount of animal protein that is created across the world. And then there's a lot of food that gets created alongside this system. So especially, I'm, I'm a plant-based chef, and I, I eat a plant-based diet. And I got mental at the plant-based world because it's like it's become the answer to, the, to all the problems, and it really isn't, because all they've done is instead of removing animal protein out of the food system and replacing it with plant-based products. They've created plant-based products alongside it and both of them are generating more and more food than before. So overall, it just creates more waste. So I've got pallets of like plant-based milk in my warehouse and a freezer full of meat. Um, I say freezer, it's, it's, it's a 40 square, uh, 40, um, square foot uh, shipping container which has got 18 oh, wow. pallets in it. You know, it's not just a little freezer. And it's full yeah. of stuff that's plant-based, animal protein, because we've just introduced more food into the system, which introduces more waste. Nobody wants to talk about that. Everybody wants to go, oh, yeah, we're all drinking plant-based milk. It's like, no, it's like less than 1% of us are uh, in our plant-based across the world right now. But there's more and more people around the world eating animal protein than ever before. Mm. There's more and more uh, less wealthy nations and, and um, you know, than previous now having access to processed foods and animal protein and all this stuff. So there's more food than ever before now. And it's yeah. just more waste. And nobody wants to talk about waste. Everybody wants to go look at these guys because they're plant-based or you know, they're saving the planet and being sustainable. It's like, no, they're not. Everybody's wasting. And this waste, where does it go? Who deals with it? What happens to it? It's a mess. Yeah. And um, I see it from all points of view. I see it from a manufacturing and production perspective. I see it from a supply chain perspective, retail or hospitality. And then I see it at the front end. Uh, yesterday we had about I don't know, 10 tons of fruit and veg arrive at our warehouse in Leeds. Um, I did a video online, it went on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and I said, everybody come down. I think I saw it. Pay whatever you want. Oh, man, there was about 150 cars in an hour and a half, and I had to manage all the traffic, wow. and it was absolutely mental. And they were just like, I would yeah. just say to everybody, pack up, get out, fill your car up, fucking give a donation, do what you want, I don't care, just get rid of this food for us. And they yeah. went ballistic, and they just ransacked all this food, and it was brilliant. And even me and my co-director Sarah said they went, this is really, it's really fun. This is how it should be, you know, just, just people coming to help us stop this food from going to waste. And somebody yeah. messaged me on LinkedIn going, like, that's mental, look at all that waste, Adam. And I was like, yep, that's what we get every day. And they're like, daily? I was like, yeah, that's what we've been getting every single day. But that's not even a lot compared to what we get. Like, do you, I've just had an email just now before we spoke. Somebody's offering me a product. I won't say what it is because I don't want to make them bad, but... Basically, we've got a product, um, very, very um, good product. It's probably going to end up in an NMS store. Um, it's close to or past its best before. Uh, and this person said, would you like it? Uh, I don't want it to go into waste and I can send it to you. And um, I just want something responsible to do with it. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Send me your numbers through. So send the spreadsheet through 250 pallets of this one product, which is 10 active wow. lorries, which I really it's see that it's not going to waste. And people go, yeah. wow, that's absolutely mental. Like, it's just your reaction. And then I was like, do you want me to show you my inbox? Do it to show you the emails yeah. that I get every day. Yeah. People offering me tens of thousands of their supply chain and product lines. Like every day, yeah. it's going to waste. Like it's a mess. And the thing is, it's hidden in plain sight then. 
here in the UK, we've got lorries all on the roads, we've got charities, we've got food banks, we've got warehouses, there's food everywhere, and it's hidden in plain sight. And we are, we think we know the scale of problems in society, but there's only people like me, there's very, very few people who deal with what we deal with, yeah. who actually see the true nature of what's going on right now. So I guess part of the problem is is like these big supermarkets and things like that that want to make their money. They, I guess from their point of view, with their priorities is they would rather order too much and get rid of it and, and make their money than order too little and, and waste that extra profit that they could get. You know, that's, I imagine that's a large degree of the problem, like at the root, you know, like if they just sacrificed maybe oh, yeah. having some empty shelves here and there mm-hmm. um, and like un- underselling it rather than overselling, like, you know, understanding rather than overselling. Bullshit that's in the media at the moment about oh there's uh, food shortages and there's an empty shell mm. remote on a Germany mm. supermarkets there are compared to ten years ago in this country. There's one on every single corner. There's one on yeah, every corner. Insane. There's a place in Leeds that you can stand in a, in a student area in Leeds and you can stand on the corner and you can see two Sainsbury's from that corner. Like, why? So yeah. when you see a shop, you go oh it's not really got much of its shelves. That's because the rest of the one million plus bloody supermarkets have also got food. It's just been yeah. even distributed out between all the supermarkets, but. You know, if you can't go up a Tesla, you can go up Morrison's down the road, I was saying, with next door, or the house there across the street. Right? Yeah. Just because one doesn't have it, I'm pretty sure you can walk it, walk in distance and go and get it from somewhere else. That's the problem. Yeah. That, so I've gone out there and gone, there isn't a food shortage whatsoever. There's just too many supermarkets and they can't fill the shelves up because we've just been fighting Brexit and COVID to our uh, global yeah. supply chain, which has affected it. That's the problem. But they can still make profit and exploit people and exploit the planet and make profit and still afford to waste. So, you know, one of the supermarkets, one of the retailers came to me about three years ago and said, um, we want to get to you because we've got this ton of opening up the supermarket every single week um, for the next two, three years. It's one of the, you know, the newer supermarkets. And, um, you know, we want to connect with you because we want to give you our waste. And the first thing we do in the first two weeks of opening is we've got lower the prices on our products because we try to get our power levels correct and our ordering systems in place. So for the first two weeks, they were just throwing everything away and opening up these supermarkets one a week. And then just throwing yeah, everything insane. away for two weeks. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm reading this email going, this is absolutely insane. This is just absolutely mm-hmm. bonkers. And I just wanted to screenshot it and put it out to the world and going, look at what's going on. Just look at it, please. Yeah. But then I think if I did, you know, maybe you and a couple of others on LinkedIn and probably make comments, share it and say, this is absolutely crazy. Them. But what, what actually happens? Nothing. It just carries on. But, you know, the world still swings around and these people will still waste food and they'll still make profit. And they'll all talk about sustainability. We've got less plastic in our supply chain. Or we're removing plastic straws from our clips or drinks. Like, who cares? It's, it's not a rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, it's all hot air. And I guess two other things that would piss you off would be these words like se- seasonal <laughs> seasonal and local, you know, like if, if there was more of an emphasis from supermarkets and things to, to get seasonal food and local food from, you know, farms rather than every other thing you look at that, that from a supermarket. It's like, oh, these, these grapes are from Brazil or from wherever, you know, things just come imported from everywhere. And then so it's even doubling the problem. It's not only wasting that food. It's also like the the environmental impact that's come from that plane journey or from whatever else it is. Yeah, the that, resource value as well, right? You know, the farmers, mm. the, the resources that's going to grow this food, uh, you know, and all the labour and, and, and uh, efforts that's gone into it. And yeah, it's all and the water. Plastic, yeah, water, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, it gets shipped all over the world and it comes into a supermarket and then we wrap some stupid arbitrary date on it and then we throw it in the bin because it's past its best before. 
and there's just no relationship to that thing whatsoever. I mean, it's insane, isn't it? Sustainability. I hate the word sustainability, and I I I, I despise people that use it and and um, and businesses that shout about it because we're not. You know, when you when you see you know fast food giants going, oh look at us, we pour all of our waste oil into our vehicles so that we're not wasting it, we're being more sustainable. It's like and you'd be more sustainable if you had less restaurants and less vehicles on the road. That's how sustainability works. Not because you're trying to use some of your waste product into something else. That's not sustainability. Yeah. Like, don't try and change the rhetoric. And then seasonality yeah. for me is like, the thing is, Ben, we shouldn't be bashing people about what they're eating. We need to put more focus on the businesses to uh, remove food from the supply chain. There's more choice, yeah, there's I more agree. variety. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go into a supermarket premium just 65 days a year and get, uh, get strawberries. You know, I want strawberries in summer, no. you know, when, when, when yeah. they grow. I don't want strawberries from Spain in winter. Um, no. You know, but we have that choice, we have that luxury, and they blame the consumers. But is it really our fault, or we find stuff because it's there and they're giving yeah. it to us and then put an emphasis and response on response? It's your fault because you're buying this stuff. It's like, but what, what did you expect to happen? Like, you know, yeah. if we had, I mean, look at you, you live in France, you know how it works. You know, uh, they make bread, at the end of the day, they sell all that bread. And no one bloody minds about it because you go get your fresh bread every day. You know, you, you know you, that, that kind of mentality. That kind of and actually, that. in the bakeries out there, if you don't eat the bread as well, if they don't finish the bread, every day you see a random few people walking down the street with loads of baguettes and like dishing them out to either people, like homeless people, or yeah. just or just people just giving it to randoms. Like, do you want yeah. a baguette? Yeah, I, I remember doing it myself actually <laughs> when I worked at a pub that made baguettes. I'd be going around, not they didn't make them, they got them from a bakery. But any excess at the end of the day, yeah, just going around, hey, baguette, baguette. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, but so, like a few baguettes. You know, yeah, yeah. millions of them, millions and millions of them. Like, yeah. we wear 75 million slices of bread every single day in this country. And most of that, I mean, this is a good thing that, I, uh, that I'll uh, mess with your mind. Think of any sandwich shop in the world, especially in the UK. You know, think of all these, you know, we talked about these convenience sandwiches earlier, about these posh sandwiches. Tell me any sandwich that you've ever seen that's made out of a crust of bread. Yeah, true. That's a, yeah. I've never seen it. No. Yeah. And it's all about convenience and things like that, yeah. Convenience, fast food, um, you know, it, it, it should be it should be there all times, no matter what, and then it's not your responsibility to deal with it. Yeah, it's a simple no, it's a it's a huge problem, and you're doing like amazing stuff to to combat it in the best way you can. Obviously, in order to actually completely rectify it worldwide, like the whole system would need to change, and politics would need to change, and everything like that. Yeah. I guess to it in order to really truly change it on a global scale. But 
And as I well, mean, you've got companies out there. This isn't food, but Amazon, you know, recently in the news about throwing away into landfill, like a bunch of brand new products still in packaging. Like it's just in, from the richest Burberry, man Was it Burberry world, as right? well? Like they were burning fashion uh, stuff that they didn't want to sell because they didn't want people getting access to it. So they were setting on fire millions of pounds worth of their stock. They don't yeah. care. And it's businesses. It's not consumers. It's not individuals. And they don't care. Yeah. If you be people at the top, have that mentality from government to businesses, it, it trickles down into society and people can see yeah. that. You know, if somebody sees Burberry burning millions of pounds of clothes, what matter does it make what difference does it make eventually the plastic cup on the beach? Well if seventy five million people on the plastic cups on the beach, you know, it has a massive impact. But we don't see that there's no relationship. We just think, oh if they can do it, then so can I do it, who's gonna tell me off? You know, they'll be like, Oh mm-hmm. God tell God tell Burberry off or what they're doing, don't tell me off. It's just that yeah. it's that attitude and it is that's the attitude we have in society. And I can prove yeah. that because look what happens with football, look what happens with after lockdown when people were on beaches, look at what happened with protests and the mess that they make. Generally, people just don't care. Or they care about the wrong things. You know, there's so much passion in going down yeah. and watching 11 men kicking the ball about than there is about the injustices in society and yeah. everything else that's going on across the world. And it's like, you know, I'm a massive football fan. I love it to be. It's probably more than the projects. But sometimes I look at them and go, yeah, okay, really? <laughs> like, yeah. The reaction to that Super League thing, I was like, I wish, even if only people could see, react that same way to just the daily corruption that we that yeah. we face from could Westminster you imagine and if we things just said, like that. Guys, the uh, the planet is getting hotter, and we're all probably going to die very, very, very soon. It might even implode. There's some extreme weather that we cannot fathom or understand yeah. happening every single day across the world, from forests set on fire and uh, flooding, and and this isn't sporadic this is happening because of the consequence of our actions if we just did something like a lockdown when nobody went out um, for like two weeks and there was no cars in the road and all of a sudden the planet literally cooled down there was hot spots in china where it literally cooled down and there were animals yeah. roaming everywhere in, in, in public spaces like all yeah. these two weeks just a little bit of a circuit break just to i was able to see the stars you know <laughs> yeah so, exactly yeah. like you know uh, that's all we need guys so if you can just kind of all go on social media and spout about that just for a couple of days that'd be absolutely great like yeah. we could change the planet really quickly and then they could just forget about it and go back to football and sometimes I just think like, how can we just make everybody really fucking pissed off really quickly about something that they're so passionate about, and yeah. so that we either stop plastic bags, stop plastic straws, or get rid of the Super League? Like we we, we did that people power, so it's proven. Yeah. We just channel all that into things which are trivial, you know. Um, and that's if you, what if you piss them off too much, though, they'll just cancel their protests, won't they? They'll just stop <laughs> stop anybody uh, doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unless, unless you become prime minister, I guess. Like, so you mentioned at the start of our conversation, yeah. if you decide you put your mind to something, that's what's going to, well, at least you're going to, you're going to put everything that you can to do that. So any chance that that's uh, on the agenda? Yeah, absolutely. I've just finished writing my book and um, I think I'm, I'm really, really, really interested in politics and I've always just started yeah. to understand and learn what centrist and left wing and right wing is like, I've always known about it, but I'm really trying to understand it now and even growing up, I grew up with John Major, for example, um, when I was a kid, and I had no idea what a conservative was. I just knew him as a prime minister. Yeah. I didn't know what right wing was. Um, so when people were like disagreeing, I used to completely be un- misunderstood. So like, why are you disagreeing with him when he's saying this because the prime minister and he's right, isn't it? Like, I just didn't understand it whatsoever. It's only now I started mm-hmm. to understand. I mean, the kind of um, subliminal politics, you know what I mean? Like the hidden politics that's in things and reason why people do things because there's a political. Uh, um, agenda 
you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not just a kind of yeah. a black and white, you know, coming out and doing a speech because you're a prime minister and we're about to go to war, like, blame you for example, what I'm talking about, like, uh, people doing stuff, you like, you clearly just did that because you were trying to get one over, you know, that kind of mentality. So I'm really, really, like, interesting that at the moment. I, I was a massive fan of Corbyn. I believe he could have potentially made uh, the world a better place. I love Bernie Sanders. Um, and uh, there's a lady, I think her name is Cortez in, in America, and she's, you know, incredibly powerful and really outspoken and uh, has got similar values to myself. Um, yeah. I'm fascinated with people like Theresa May and, and Margaret Thatcher. I'm just fascinated around the mentalities and people in those positions and how they make those decisions. Um, and I just feel like I think my life is channeling in a direction. Um, I've been asked to be like, come a local councillor, been talked about becoming an MP, I joined the Green Party for a while. Uh, I got involved with the Northern Independence Party for a while, uh, but I kind of got out of that. Um, kind of focusing on the Labour Party at the moment and trying to understand the, like, the original values as to why it set up and what it stood for and, and all the stuff around the NHS creation and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not just saying it's just to say it for your thing, but I literally look nice. <laughs> next to me. So I've literally got like books that I'm reading. I'm just like understanding the basics of what it is. Um, yeah. Because I just believe like, I'm very good at speaking. I can stand on the stage and speak to anybody about the project. And um, I have quite a large following of people. That you know, even yesterday when all these people came down for Bruton Ledge, I was like trying to direct traffic and people say thank you, Adam, to me. And I was like, do you know my name? I don't, I've never met you before in my life. And I, I, I'm able to just bring people together in a way. I mean, I've used food as a powerful tool to do that, and I've always been really good at doing that. But like I said, even when I was a kid, you know, I joined the group of kids two years above me and ended up doing a, a road safety board game. And managed to make them all think that they should be doing what I wanted them to do, and it, and it's quite powerful if you've got. And then my friend used to say I had this gift of doing it. Um, it's only when I was older I realised about this gift, and it's not being kind of you know egotistical or anything or like a kind of power driven maniac. I'm just saying that I've always had this gift of like bringing people around me and doing things that are positive and being able to understand people's point of views, but staying true to what it is I believe in. Um, yeah. I think we miss that in the world at the moment. I think and kindness as well. This is the message of our our project is we've got kindness everywhere. We've got kindness cafe, kindness catering in the warehouse has got the kindness sign on it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of kindness missing in politics at the moment. I just feel like a lot of one up and shit facts are being fraud, lying, corruption. Um, yeah. And I just it's, feel it's like... A, it's a joke, really. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, people outside of the UK must look at us and think, what a set of idiots. Um, I just think... Maybe there needs to be a bit more kindness and humanity back into politics. And I'd like to yeah. be part of that, if possible. But yeah, Prime Minister, why not 10 years? going for it awesome man well i'll be watching that journey with great interest and rooting for you um you. before i let you go just a couple of last little things would be since you're a chef as well and this is all about food waste and things like that i think it'd be a nice little exercise if you could maybe just highlight one or two or just a few different bits of everyday food that most people would chuck in a bin yeah. that is easy to repurpose just if you've got any little tips on that Absolutely. kind of thing just yeah. uh, banana skin bacon Banana skin, bacon. Yeah. Go so, on, man. I'm listening. Uh, clean your banana skins, <laughs> put it in some water with a little bit of salt, leave it for a couple of days, and then marinate it with some sugar and some paprika, some garlic salt, you know, just a, a general kind of marinade. Um, get it in the oven, dry it out, you know, really low heat, and it goes really, really crispy. Um, and I've just created a company called Rage Against the Ice Cream, which is a activist ice cream company which uses 
um, waste bananas to make ice cream out of, and then I'd make a banana skin bacon, which I sprinkle through the ice cream. So the awesome. whole thing is completely zero waste. That sounds very cool. Are they good as well, these banana yeah, skin bacon it's, it's things? Yeah, it's crispy and a bit salty. They don't taste like banana. Um, it just tastes like a really crispy, you know, thin rasher of bacon. Um, wow. Yeah, and obviously you marinate it, so your sugars and your paprikas and your salts and stuff, you know, make it kind of that kind of bacon taste. But, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it works, but it stops it. I'm, I'm going to try that I'm one for sure. It. Well, I've got an open source recipe in a website, so I think, I think it's on my website now. Um, where you can just go on, on the real junk food thing. project website. No, it's called RageAgainstTheIceCream.com. So on the Rage Against the Ice Cream. Yeah, it's chilling in the name. I'll put the link in the description <laughs> if you send it to me after this. Oh, bless you. Thank you. That's really kind. I'm going to just check that. That's up and running because I think the um, the uh, we did some open source kind of spec sheets, um, and I was hoping. Oh, no, it's still to soon, but there's a big picture of like a hamlet with a banana in it. It's chilling in the name of. So yeah, we've got the pictures going up very, very similar. It's just an open source recipe. And it just the whole point is that I'm not doing it to profit from it, but I'm just showing people how yeah. to do this, but also a commercial sense, which is very activist and just changing the rules a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. Any any other ones on the on the tip of your tongue? Um bread, obviously, bread's one of the most wasted products on the planet. Um one of the yeah. things that I, I like to teach kids especially is that you can make pastry out of bread. So if you take the crust off and roll it out really, really thin and put it into like a, a muffin tin. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of butter, a little bit of egg on it, and you put it in the oven, it goes like a crispy kind of um, case. So then you can fill it up with things and make it into a kind of uh, a savoury uh, case um, rather nice. than just using it for bread. So, yeah, bread's quite yeah. versatile. You can use it for all sorts of really wonderful things. So, yeah, yeah. I just try French and... toast with stale bread as well. Yeah, as French toast, for... obviously, yeah, exactly, <laughs> like all those kind of things. And, you know, you can obviously make bread crumbs yeah. and croutons and all that kind of stuff out of it. Um, bananas, obviously black bananas we make ice cream out of and what else do I use that's really obscure that I uh, can't think of top of my head um, but I'm notorious, obviously my handle is um, Mr Junk Food Chef on, on my website and my, my social media I basically show people how to make meals out of very little um, yeah. so I've done like cauliflower five ways for a dish before and you know, just kind of show people lots of ways and wonderful ways you can you can use the same item to, to create meals out of them, yeah. just get people thinking and being more creative and experimenting. I think the the, the one thing I teach everybody is experiment, just be creative and try and if you if it goes wrong, then you learn a lesson and you know, try it a different way yeah. next time. But we have that fear of food in this country, so people that experiment yeah. or get creative enough when it comes to food. Awesome. No, no, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, like I say, I'll put some links to those recipes if I can find them and, and to your Twitter and all that kind of thing. So Thank people you. can check you out. Um, you. Last thing, Adam, before I let you go, do you want to pass on any kind of message to anybody that's listening or watching right now? It doesn't have to be anything specific. It doesn't have to be any length, uh, particular length, just yeah, anything think, you want to get out. When I traveled to Australia in 2012, after a serious suicide attempt, I stopped over in Singapore, went to a a little Chinese uh, restaurant and uh, I got a fortune cookie and fortune cookie said that I haven't got it on my wallet with me now but it's downstairs sorry but uh, I kept it with me ever since and it, this little slip that I got said allow yourself to think and dream in limited ways and I've stayed true to that ever since I got it and I think the most important thing the message for me is the allow yourself you know how many of us allow ourselves to do things Um, I think that's one of the hardest things as a human being that you can do uh, one of the things I talk about when I do mental health speeches and, 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 and talks and neurodiversity is the allowing yourself to be vulnerable. 
especially as a male, you know, in the, in the 18 to 30 range, you know, that really controversial uh, demographic of men, especially when it comes to suicide and mental health and opening up and all that kind of stuff, to allow yourself to be vulnerable um, is one of the hardest things I think a human being can do, especially especially male, you know, given the yeah. male-dominating toxic environments that we may have grown up in or been around. Um, so for me, that's that's the message I try to put across people is that kind of allow yourself, allow yourself to think and dream in limited ways. Um, and I believe that anybody can do anything they put their minds, and I think I'm really proof that that can help. Yeah, I love that. Allow yourself to think and, and dream in unlimited ways and also, yeah, allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be to be weak sometimes and yeah. fragile, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for today, Adam. Really, really appreciate it. No this problem. was a lot of fun and, and enlightening. Like, Hopefully this is going to be a problem that hopefully next time we talk, this will be a little bit, we'll be a little bit further down the road of ending this problem. Hopefully. I'll be Prime Minister, sorry, about it downstairs. Exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again. You're welcome. Take care, man. Cheers, Adam. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to my chat with Adam Smith. If you want to find out more about Adam or about the Real Junk Food Project, please see the links in the description. If you enjoyed this video, please go check out our channel and hit that subscribe button. Thank you for listening. Be nice, be happy, be cool. <laughs>